0: Awesome. You picked an incredible weekend to be here. It's pretty outside and going to be awesome in here. You know, I uh, have a tombstone that we have here today. It's made out of marble. It's real. The only thing it's missing is a name. And I just wonder, do we have any volunteers? You know, just... uh, Now, you know, every tombstone... It has a name, and then it has like an epitaph, you know, something that uh, identifies your life. And then it has what? It has a date. And there are always two dates. There's the date in which you were born, and then there's the date when your heart no longer beats and your lungs no longer take in air. It's a deadline, and uh, it's one we're all going to face. I guess the question is, is how much urgency do we have in between to get done what we were created to do? I want to talk about that. I want to talk about urgency. What creates urgency when it comes to mission, the things that we were created? And I thought, you know, how, how could we illustrate urgency? You know, that, that uh, and the team came up with a game. So we're going to play a little game. And as our game players come out, would you give them a potential church welcome? <clears throat> I think they're coming. Here they come. All right, come on out, make your way on the magic carpet, and we will get your names. All right, come on out, guys. Just kind of move on down there. Get your blindfold. Tell us your name. Sarah Faye. Sarah. Mauricio Castaño. Say it again. Mauricio. Mauricio Soto. All right. Three people, three blindfolds, here's the game. In just a moment, they're gonna put their blindfolds on. When they do, the music will play. They're gonna boogie, all right? They're gonna show us their best dance moves. And, and then at 10 seconds, the music will stop, and they will have to find a chair to sit on, okay? You remember when you played musical chairs as a kid? So, um, are you ready? Are you guys ready? Are you ready? Come on. I mean, you're here. You might as well have some fun, all right? All right, so put your blindfolds on. And uh, no cheating. Let's start the music and the timer. All right, find your chair, find your chair. There's two. It's on the carpet. Oh. All right, we found one. There's one more left. I will tell you this you guys are on the wrong end of the m- microphone. The wrong end. This is a real battle. Go to your right. Well, somebody's already in that one. Oh, we have a winner! Put your headphones off. That was quite a battle. That was quite a battle. Congratulate. Thank you so much for helping us out. We appreciate that. Wait till you see, wait till you see that on video, guys. That's going to be awesome. Or better yet, wait till you see it on television. All right. So, here we go. Mauricio you you haven't won yet all right you got another competition here so we're gonna do it one more time this time we have one chair okay are you excited about (laughs) put your blindfolds on turn the music on a winner! <laughs> Thank you so much for your help. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for your help. Give it up for him one more time. That is urgency, right? When the music stops. Now the question is how do we get that kind of urgency while the music... And I gotta tell you that's the best that game's been played in all of our services so far. Um, <clears throat> how do you get that kind of urgency in life? And that's where I want us to spend a little bit of time today. All right. So uh, I want to show. I want to start by showing you a picture. So let's look at this picture. You know what that is? It's the Earth. All right. And it's the Moon on this side. It's from the taken from the back side of the Moon, looking across the Moon to the Earth. It was taken in um, December the 24th, 1968, by the Apollo 8 mission team, the first time men had ever been to the moon. And when they got there, it was Christmas Eve, of course, and so they read uh, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It reminds me of Psalm 19:1, where it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaimed the work of his hands. I mean, when you look at the beauty of space, it's quite incredible. Now, I think there's something we can learn by how that picture got uh, taken, or maybe not how, why it was taken. In 1957, October, the Russians did something that freaked us out here in America, is they sent a satellite into orbit. Anybody know what its name was? Sputnik, and here's a picture of it. All right, when they sent that up into the the atmosphere, into orbit, and it would circle around, it would cross the United States ever so often. All it did was beep, really, but we could hear the beeps, and we're like, well, what if they weaponize it? And so we're all freaked out. Then in November, they freaked us out again because we hadn't even been into space at this time. We hadn't put anything in space up to this time. They They sent this into space. A dog, all right? Now, I don't know how to say his name. It's a Russian name. I'll spell it for you. L-A-I-K-A was this dog. It's a and they decided that this would be the first living thing up in space. Here's a picture of him in his spaceship, <clears throat> all right? They sent him up into space. In November, and again, America was completely freaked out about this because, uh, and so the space race began between us and Russia. We got the Cold War going on, and then in 1961, the president—anybody know who the president was at that time? John Fitzgerald Kennedy got Congress together, you know, give the State of the Union. You have the Democrats, the Republicans, a joint session of Congress, and he said this. Let's watch. I therefore ask the Congress, above and beyond the increases I have earlier requested for space activities, to provide the funds which are needed to meet the following national goals. First, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal, before this decade is out, of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. And none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. So did you catch what he said? We're going to send a man to the moon, and we're going to do it within the decade. Now, this was amazing, because this, he gave this speech on May the 25th. It was on May the 5th, just 20 days later, that we sent our first person up into space. His name was Alan Shepard. He had been there for 15 minutes, and he came back down to planet Earth. So we had just sent a man into space, and the president, two weeks later, says, we're going to send a man to the moon. And, of course, he has to cast some vision for this because it's going to take some commitment to make it happen. So about a year later, he is at the University of Rice in 1962, and he gives this speech. Let's watch a few moments of it. Why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? 5:35 years ago, fly the Atlantic. Why does rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard, we choose to go to the moon. He gave us a decade in which to do it, and, uh, well, NASA accomplished it. In 1969, in the month of July, the biggest television audience ever watched this. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind how many of you saw that live on television all right a few of you that is incredible all right i mean that is amazing you know just a little over eight years we go from not having anybody in space to actually having a man on the moon unless of course you don't think we've ever been there but um it's amazing i mean every time i watch that i'm just i'm just blown away by the fact that in such a short period of time we did Um, such an incredible thing the moon's like 250,000 miles away and um, in 1972 we sent our last man to the moon the Apollo uh, uh, ended you know that whole process from Apollo 1 all the way through you know where they went up with the rover and rode around on the moon and did all those different things and not a lot happened in the space program after that A lot of things going on in the world then 12 years later In 1984 a different president anybody know who was president in 1984 yeah Ronald Reagan was president a different party but an incredible communicator much like John F Kennedy he brought the House and the Senate together and gave the State of the Union and he said a lot of things but I want to read to you just a little bit of what he said at the end he said America has always been greatest when we dared to be great we can reach for greatness again we can follow our dreams to distant stars, living and working in space for peaceful economic and scientific gain. Tonight, I am directing NASA to develop a permanently manned space station and to do it within the decade. So, incredibly, you have a speech that's very much like John F. Kennedy's. Kennedy gave him a decade, or, and uh, Ryan, Ronald Reagan did the same thing. The space station that Reagan had in mind was called freedom and uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the space station freedom you may not have because well it was never launched never happened Now that's interesting to me because you have two incredible communicators communicating to the same body the House and the Senate a joint session for a State of the Union speech you have people applauding and excited about it and yet one happened and one didn't. Sounded good to everyone. Now in 1998, the International Space Station, which is up there now, you can actually get an app, and NASA will notify you when it's above your head so you can look up at it. But that was a lot of different nations. It was Japan and Russia and us, about 15 nations altogether, that put it up there. But freedom never, freedom never happened. And, and so I asked myself, well, well why, why didn't it launch? And I think there are three words if you want to jot these down. I think the three words, because they're going to apply to the urgency of our own lives, the three words are commitment, heart, and passion. Commitment, heart, and passion. The difference between the 60s and the 80s was in the 60s, they had a commitment, they had a passion, and they had a heart to put the man on the moon. In the 1980s, they didn't have that. Now, they both had a whole lot of things going on in the world. There were... tons of distraction in the 60s there were tons of distraction in the 80s but the difference was commitment was passion and was heart. And you say well troy i mean that all sounds good but how do you know that well i know that because that's what the scripture teaches in matthew chapter 6 and verse 21 look at what it says it says wherever your what yeah wherever your treasure is the desires of your heart are going to be there as well now, you know when he's talking about treasure, what's he talking about? Money. Right? I mean, that's what we treasure, right? Money. When the pirates go looking for treasure, what are they looking for? They're not looking for rum. They're looking for money. Right? That, that, so Jesus is basically saying, wherever your money is, is where your heart will be. So when we look at the space race... We immediately understand that the difference between the 60s and the 80s was that it didn't have our heart, it didn't have our commitment, and it didn't have our passion. And the reason we know that it didn't is not by it had less applause. The reason we know is because it didn't have our money. Because money always, according to the Bible, follows commitment, passion, and heart. Where your money is, your heart will go. So and, and, and let me show you. All right. So I, I, I looked at this and I thought, okay, let's compare the 60s, 19, you know, let's 64, 1984. Let's look at the budgets of NASA. All right. In 1984, the budget at NASA was almost 5% of our national budget. I think it was 4.41. That's a lot of money. 5% of the national budget. We said, hey NASA, send us to the moon. Now, in 1984, when Reagan said, hey, we're going to build a space station, it was 0.84. There's a huge difference. In other words, we were willing to give a lot bigger percentage of our, of our budget to go to the moon than we were to do the space station. In addition to that, in 1964, those employed by NASA was 411,000 plus people. 411,000 people worked at Russia, I mean, worked at Russia, (laughs) worked at NASA, okay? Now, in 1984, it was, I think, 44,000 people. That's a huge difference, isn't it? They they tell us in today's dollars, the whole Apollo program took $200 billion to send a man to the moon. By the way, today, it's actually 0.5%. So it's, this is what's amazing to me, is I look at the Scripture, and the Scripture says, where you put your money is where your heart will be. And then I look at the facts, and I realize, you know what? It proves it out. Because we can't always tell, we get excited about a lot of stuff. We like to clap our hands and say, woo-hoo, and let's do it, and I'm in, and way to go, and let's make it happen. And God says, I I, want to give you a way in which you can discover where your commitment is, where your passion is, and where your heart is. And it's by what you do with your money. Now, if that's true for NASA, I got to thinking about the Bride of Christ, the church. What is our mission? Because we want to know how urgent we are about our mission. We want to discover whether or not we have a sense of commitment and passion and heart towards our mission. Can we know that? Is it different for everybody? Well, let's go to the scripture. Because we believe that the Bible is an inerrant. In other words, it's God's true word. It's, God, it's true for all times, all people, and all places. And look at what the scripture says in John chapter 20. This is after the resurrection, and the boys are locked behind a closed door. They're scared to death, and Jesus comes in, and the first thing he says to them is, well, don't be afraid. He says, peace be with you. Then he says, as the Father has, what? Sent me, I am what? What? What's it say? So I am what? Yeah, sending you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So what is our mission? Well, the first thing we know, it is to go. God's ascending God. Jesus says, God sent me, and just as God sent me, now I am sending you. So the first thing we know about our mission from Christ himself, he's our visionary. He tells us, "Is it's to go. That's our mission, to go. Now, it's always nice to know where you're going, isn't it? Right, I mean, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, you wanna go? What's the first question you ask? Where are we going? right? Because if you're going to work, I'm not going. You're going to get pizza, count me in, right? We want to know where are we going. So again, let's go to the scripture and ask that same question. If our mission is to go, where are we supposed to go? Well, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. So the scripture says in John that God sent, Jesus says, God sent me. What did God send me to do? Well, he tells us in Luke 19, 10, I came and I came because God sent me to seek and to save those who were lost. Now we can't save people because only we can point them to Christ who brings about salvation. But what we can do is seek people. So if you want to ask, what is our mission as a church? What is our mission as a Christ follower? Well, it is to seek. And then he also gives us our target. Who is our target? It's the lost, isn't it? I mean, that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, God sent me, I'm sending you. And then he tells us, God sent me to seek the lost and so, if Jesus tells me I am to do what God told him to do, then what should I be doing? Seeking the lost. That is our target and that is our mission. I mean, it's really quite simple. A lot of times within the church, we complicate it and, and we get focused on a whole lot of different things. But this is what the scripture says is our mission. So, and we ask does it have our commitment? Does it have our passion? Does it have our heart? Now, in case we missed it, when Jesus was living out his mission, when he was doing what God sent him here to do, hanging out with those who didn't know Christ, the religious people got nervous about it. And they went to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, you need to come on down to the church and teach us a Bible study. I mean, you're the son of God, after all. What do you know about the Torah that we don't know? You need to come teach us. Why are you hanging out with these people? I mean, these are prostitutes. These are, these are tax collectors. I mean, these are bad people. Come on down to the church. We got some great ministries. And look at what Jesus says to them in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. When Jesus heard this, heard what? That they were complaining about the fact that he was hanging out with the wrong people. He told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are what? No, they are sinners. And what does the word sin mean? Miss the mark. See, here's what I wrote in, in my notes. Just like today, religious people in that day got upset when the church wasn't about them. See, the danger of becoming a Christ follower is that over time you forget the mission. And you start to believe that the reason the church exists is to meet your need, right? People do it all the time. They're like, man, I want to hear my kind of music. I want to have, I mean, we need this program, and and we need this kind of ministry, and we need this kind of study, and, and we need all of these things to do what? To meet my need. And Jesus said, hey, guys, that's not what I'm here for. I didn't come to meet your need. I came to reach those who have never experienced me. That's the great need. Therefore, why did God leave us here? He left us here to do the mission. And the mission is to seek and to save those that are lost. But our skin, it loves for church to be about us. Right? I mean you 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 hear people, you've probably heard it if you've hung out in ministry very long. You've probably heard people say things kind of like, you know, I'm going to have to find me a different small group. Or I'm going to have to find me a different ministry or maybe even I'm going to have to find me a different church cuz I'm just not being fed. I'm just not being fed. And when, when I hear somebody that come to me and they tell me that about their small group or they tell me about, you know, they're going to go to another church or even it's, oh, we're going to come to potential because we're getting fed or whatever. Anytime I hear that, I think, well, you know, I've got three kids. And I did feed them when they were babies. But now that they're 23 and 21 and about to turn 16, if one of them were to come to me and say, Daddy, feed me, I'd, I'd say, whoa, Steph, something's weird, right? Because, because you only feed babies. So when you say that, when you say, oh, I got to find me a ministry where I can really get fed, what you are saying is I got to find a place where they have diapers because, because I, I, I'm not old enough, I'm not mature enough yet to feed myself. Why do we do that? Because there is a tendency in all of us to want it to be about us. Listen, the ministries of the church, the small groups of the church, the discipleship of the church, all of those things are here to resource us and mature us so that we can do the mission. The goal is not to know. The goal is to go. And we know to go. Listen, we're all about discipleship. We want you to mature in the faith, but we mature in the faith so that we can go and seek the lost because that's the mission. Jesus says, that's why I'm leaving you here. And I'm going to give you a book and I'm going to give you some teachers and I'm going to give you some ministries so that you are well equipped to go. Sometimes we'll say, well, I just I just like being in the presence of God. And that's an incredible thing. And we should desire to be in God's presence. But if you go to the book of Acts, when Jesus left earth for the last time, right? And he's going to heaven. And the boys are just standing there. And they're in awe of his glory. And they're in his presence. And the angel walks up to him. You can read it. And he's like, "Uh, what are you doing? And they're like, well, well, we're, we're here in his presence. And he's like, you need to go. You need to go. See, we do need to experience God's presence, but we experience God's presence to take to others so that they can experience God's presence in their lives. It's not to stand and to gawk at the heavens. It's to take what God's done in our lives to those who have yet to experience it. And I got to tell you, man, it is challenging as a Christ follower. See, we often forget what it is that reached us. I am amazed. I got to tell you, I am amazed at the number of people who will come and complain about a ministry that actually is the ministry that God used to reach them. But now that they're a Christ follower, they're more focused on their needs being met than those who don't know Christ being reached. That's not the mission. And it is important that we understand the mission, and and in case we missed it, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said it one last time before he did leave. He says, Jesus came and he told the disciples, he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Look in verse 18, he says, I've been given all authority. And with that authority, what did he tell you to do? What did he tell me to do? Very next verse, therefore, because I am the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time God, go. That's what he said, go. That is our responsibility. That is our mission as the church. So we ask ourselves, much like the United States during the 1980s, do we have the commitment? Do we have the passion and do we have the heart for the mission that God has given us? Well, how can we tell? Well, it's not by how loud we applaud when it comes to reaching the lost. It's not by how high we raise our hand. It's not by how loud we say amen. It's not by even by how many scriptures that we memorize. The Bible told us. We looked at it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. What does it say? Wherever your treasure is, the desire of your heart will be. How do you and I discover whether or not we have a commitment, whether we are passionate, and whether our heart is for the mission? Just simply, we just look at our money. Where does our money go? Because our money will reveal what we are committed to, what we are passionate about, and what has our heart. God is a giving God. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God gave his son. In John 10, 18, Jesus said, Nobody takes my life, I, I freely, I freely give it. Now, God knew we'd struggle with this. So in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, he says, Now, you can't serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despised by the other. You can't serve both God and be enslaved to money. You can't do it. So what, what does money look like when it comes to giving to the commitment, to the, to the passion, and to the heart? I mean, how does this all play out? Well, we talked about this a moment last week, but let me uh, go back to it in Malachi chapter 3. We'll read it very quickly. He says, you ask, how have you robbed me? Well, the tithe and the offering. So when it comes to our money, there are two uh, tools that God uses. It's the tithe. And what's the word tithe mean? Yeah, it's a transliterated word. It means 10%. So you can read it like this. How have you robbed me? Well, the 10%. In other words, the tithe is you and I returning to God the 10% of what he's given to us and the offering. He says, that's how. And now you're under a curse. Why? Because you've robbed me, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring your full tithe. You know what? The scripture is so challenging because it leaves, it leaves no wiggle room, does it? I mean, he says bring, he doesn't say bring some of the tithe. Bring what you can afford of the tithe. What's he say? Bring the full tithe. In other words, here's what the scripture teaches. Partial obedience is disobedience. It's like with your kids. You tell your kids, hey, come here to the living room, and they come halfway. You're not like, oh, thank you. Maybe next time you'll come the whole way. You're like, no, 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 no. I told you to come here. God says the same thing. He says, I want you to return the full tithe, the full 10% to, he says, to the temple treasury. And of course, the temple treasury today, that would be the local church. He says, I want you to return the full tithe to the local church. Why? So that there will be ample provision in my temple, in my church. He says, and then God's so cool. He knows we're gonna struggle with this, so he gives us the blessing side. He didn't have to tell us what would happen, but he does. He says, test me in this. See, if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out a blessing beyond your wildest dreams. The wisdom writer says in Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10, he says, honor God with everything that you own. Give him the, what's that next word? Is it up there? It's not. Do we have it? We don't have it. Let me tell you what he has, what it says. This is the third time I've taught this, and nobody's told me that's not up there. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. The first and the best. And then he tells us again what will happen. He says, your barns will burst and your wine vats will brim over. In other words, he says there's going to be a blessing. Now, I spent some time thinking, what is the difference between a tithe and an offering? Because in Malachi 3 and throughout the scripture, God talks about two different ones. And here's what I think. I think the tithe is about faith. In other words, the tithe is not about the church that you attend, whether you like the vision or don't like the vision. It's not at all about the church. The tithe is returning to God 10%, of everything that he gives me on a, on a, as I get it, all right? So if I get paid weekly, daily, monthly, whatever, I, I return that to him. The tithe is an opportunity each week for me to discover the priority that God is in my life. If God is the priority of my life, then I will do what he's asked me to do. So every week when or two weeks or however it is that you receive income, And then there's an opportunity, whether it be online or whether it be those ugly buckets, whatever it might be, there's an opportunity for you to discover, is God number one, like I say? Because there's a lot of blessings that come with God being priority. Or is he not? And it's not based, according to the scripture, on what you say is number one. It's on what I do with my money. So the tithe is about faith. Because it takes faith to trust that he'll keep his word and he'll take care of me. Now, the offering is, I think it's about the heart. It's about what you're passionate about. It's about the vision and where the church is going or where the ministry is going. Because in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul's were taking an offering. He's going to the church at Corinth And he's receiving an offering for the church in Jerusalem And he tells them, he says, hey guys I want you to pray about this I don't want you to give because you feel guilty I don't want you to give because somebody puts a video on the screen And it makes you cry He says, I want you to think about it And I want you to give what what God lays on your heart And I want you to be a cheerful giver You heard that voice? Be a cheerful, uh, verse, giver Well, how do you be a cheerful giver? Do you will it? You're like, oh, happy, 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 dropping it in. I mean, how do you do it? You are a cheerful giver when you actually believe that God will do what he said he would do. That God will take my offering and he will use it to reach people for Christ and he will bless me. So when there's an opportunity to give, I can actually get excited. I'm not talking about tithe; I'm talking about offering here. I can get excited. Why? Man, because this is a way that I'm going to impact the world for Christ, which is to complete the mission that God created me for. And he's going to bless me. So I can applaud, I can be excited, I can be passionate because I am on the edge or the verge of actually receiving a blessing and seeing people's lives change. That's why Paul said, that's how you be a cheerful giver. He said, I don't want you giving because you ought to or you think you should or you're afraid you get in trouble if you don't. That's not a cheerful giver. Why doesn't he want you to do that? Because when you do that, you're not giving because you believe. There's no way to believe that God will keep his word and not be a cheerful giver. Do you know why we struggle to give? Because we really don't believe God will do what He said. I mean, we like, and that always amazes me because somehow we think that when our heart does stop and we face the tombstone, that we're going to go way up in the sky in a golden street, live in a mansion, and we trust God for that. But we don't trust that He'll take care of us financially. It's the same Bible, it's the same scripture. So when he tells us that it is about the the, the tithe and the offering, and he tells us in Malachi to be disobedient in either one, is to find ourselves. Well, if you read verse 11, it says that that God will protect us from the marauders. In other words, when you and I live generous lives according to the Scripture, God makes sure that the enemy doesn't take from us what God gave us. And what does the enemy want to do according to John 10.10? God says, I've come to give you abundant life, but yeah, he says, I've come to steal, kill, and destroy. And God says, you know what, generous people, I'm going to keep him from doing that. That's what it says. Now, when you think about the vision here, because I want to be straight up with you here. Listen, if potential church is not the place where you can connect, then you need to find a place where you can if you're not passionate about this vision, find you a local church where you can be passionate about the vision. Because one day we're going to stand before God and he's going to say, what would you do with my son? That's a question of eternity. Then he's going to say, what did you do with the dash? What did you do with your life? And you saying, well, I couldn't find a good church is not going to get it. He died for the local church. So make sure you find one that you connect with, that you're passionate about, that you believe in. And that you can be a part of. Now, as we get ready to go into our new temple centurion season 215 to 216, I mean 2015, 2016-2017, our mission is to partner with people to reach their God potential um, so that we can impact the world for good. And, and when you think about that, it's people growing and maturing, being everything God created them to be in every area of their life so that we can go out into the world and reach other people to experience the same thing. It's about accomplishing the mission that Jesus left us here to do, 50 campuses, 100,000 people, and $150 million. Now, I was doing a little research, and I discovered that t- between 24 and 27% of people in the, uni- in the world have never even heard the gospel. Nobody's ever presented Jesus to them. It's about two billion people. I also discovered that 86% of Muslims, Hindus, and uh, Buddhists have never even, don't even know a Christian. So, of course, they've never heard the gospel according to the Atlas of Global Christianity. Now, here in America, about the last survey, about 25% of Americans just publicly said, hey, I'm not a Christian. So, um, 75% said uh, that they were. Now, whether they lived that or not, I don't know, but they publicly said that they were. The scary thing is, is that when you get to the age of 18 to 24, it continues to grow. 40% of those between the ages of 18 and 24 uh, just publicly were willing to check and say, I'm not a Christian and have no intention on becoming one. In other words, when it comes to um, Christianity, we're losing the next generation. And you know who that is, right? That's your kids, your grandkids, your nephews, your nieces. We're losing them. They're not being reached for Christ. And why are they not being reached for Christ? I mean, that's on us. Right, I mean, there's there's a lot of people gathered today in the name of Christ, and yet we're unable to reach people for Christ. Why is that? It's because most people are gathered in churches for what they can receive rather than the mission we were given. And you say, well, Troy, how can you say that? All I gotta do is look at the money. I mean, that's what the Bible says. Look at the money. See, it's very easy to say that we care about the next generation that we want to reach people for Christ. But I want you to really understand what the Scripture says. It says, if, but if, if the church doesn't have your resources, then you are lying to yourself. You are not passionate about the next generation. You are not committed to the next generation. And the next generation does not have your heart. That's what the Scripture says. And we have to wake up to that because you, you and me are going to give an account to God for the time in which we were alive. And I want you to know it looks a lot more like the 80s than it does the 60s. Because the next generation does not have our commitment. They do not have our passion because they do not have our money. That's what the statistics show, not just at potential church, but at the, as the community of Christ around the world. So we need to do something about that. You and I can do something about that. That's why he left us here. That's why he created us. You didn't fall out of a tree and wash up on the shore. You were made by God to do something of incredible significance. And so as we go into this new Temple Centurion season, now I I understand that the last couple of weeks have been quite challenging. And I also understand that when I challenge folks in such a way that our attendance actually goes the opposite way that I would desire it to go. It goes backwards instead of forwards. But you need to understand that I am not an entertainer. I am a pastor. And my responsibility is to make sure to the best of my ability that you understand what the Bible says so that you can live a life that does honor God. And I will be faithful to do that no matter which direction attendance goes. So I shared this last week, but I wanna go over it real quickly. Number one is preparing young leaders, right? We we have a school here from preschool all the way through eighth grade. And the reason we do, it's an alternative for those who would like, uh, like that alternative to give their kids an incredible academic foundation along with a spiritual foundation. But we also have a preschool ministry here that operates on the weekend, going on right now, goes on throughout the week in different ways. And they're not babysitting your children. They're laying a foundation for your children. We also have a children's ministry here. Listen, there are lots of uh, uh, incredible people that are over there now in the children's ministry. They're serving, they're preparing, they're a resource. Why do we have that children's ministry? To partner with you as a parent so that your children can be reminded that they have value, that they have purpose, that they are important, that there is a mission it, it, to not give up hope. You realize that surveys tell us that the next generation has given up hope in the future that it'll be worse than it was in the past. And I I just don't believe that. And the reason I don't believe that is because as far as I know, God is still on his throne. I'm not giving up on this world. And we want to pour that in to our children to help them understand. The same are with students. And then we're excited about the college that's gonna begin in the fall. Again, so that we can train pastors and we can train doctors and attorneys and firefighters and police officers and just whatever it is they're called to do to be the best that they can be so that we can accomplish that which God created us and brought us here to do. The second thing is social media, you know, new media platforms. The world's changed. I mean, in years ago we started television and God's blessed us with that. Just the other day, I was at a red light, and a lady kind of honked and got me to roll down my window, and she's like, oh, I just wanted to let you know, uh, uh, watch on television and, and the, the church there. You guys have really changed my life. And I said, well, you know, thank you. Come join us, you know. But it's had an incredible impact in different ways. But the world has changed. People don't just watch television. There's Netflix and Amazon Kindle. There's um, YouTube and social media. And we want to be able to be a part of those. We're working on a program now to start production the 25th and then another one on Father's Day and then a whole umbrella of different, almost like a network that uh, is able to reach out into the millions of people that find themselves there. And then when we launch a campus, there's already a group of people that are passionate about the mission. Now, to get the, the remodeling that we need over in that building for our college and for our student ministries is $350,000 in the next uh, 12 months. And then for the technology that's involved over there and then for the time on these social media platforms and then um, the technology, you're talking $150,000, so that's $500,000. And then lastly is, of course, the goal is to launch campuses because everywhere a church goes, The community is impacted. Marriages are reconciled. Young people are reminded that there is hope. And ultimately, people come to Christ. And so there are two uh, initiatives. One is in Miami. It's taking the Hollandale campus and challenging them. They're pumped up about the opportunity to go into Miami and launch a campus. And uh, I can tell you, I've sat in meetings with church leaders where they say, hey, we need to, they've given up on Miami. Broward, I mean Dade County all together they're like we need to build a wall I, I, I guess they like a certain presidential candidate but they, they, we need to build a wall right here at Broward County and you know so the enemy can 't get in and I, I, just, I just don't think God does that there's so much opportunity in Dade County and if you reach Dade County you reach the world and there's some incredible churches there to partner with so we, we want to do that you want to be a part of that all you have to do is write the word Miami on that card secondly is um, we need to do uh, here. We grow, you know, at Cooper City, what happens is, is because of the space with the children, here in the auditorium even, and then the parking, is that we grow, we hit our head, we come down, we go up, we can't make real progress. So in order to do that, uh, we need to, to build a, another campus. We have 15 to 20,000 people, 15 to 20 miles on the outside. And uh, we want to go to one of those areas, get a Target, a Walmart, a Sports Authority, and completely remodel it. I showed you pictures last week. And uh, it'll be as nice, if not nicer, than this campus. And then, you know, you move 700 to 1,500 people, that can grow, this can grow, and you move up to Orlando. In other words, listen, we can impact the world. And how are we going to do all that? Well, you and me, right? You're the, you have skills and gifts and talents. And God brought you here. And the temptation for all of us is to get so focused in what's in front of us that we're not a part of what God's doing. But if we'll get, be, become a part of what God's doing, He will bless what's in front of us. You know, I, I was thinking this week about all this. That's a mil- that'll take about a million dollars. So we're talking a million and a half dollars over the next, uh, next year. And... Uh, and next weekend, we receive our offering to kind of kick it off. Our goal is $500,000. And uh, I was thinking about that this week. And uh, I, I, I don't want to make a political statement, but I do want to make a point. As I was watching, and one of the presidential candidates released their tax returns about two weeks ago, a month ago. Many of them have. And um, this presidential candidate... Uh, it showed on there his charitable giving. And um, it was 4%, which is not very much. And, and what was interesting to me is that this candidate talks a lot about uh, all the things that he wants to give away. Free education and, you know, free this and free that. And whether you think that's good or bad, that, that's up to you. But, it, but as I looked at, at that, I realized that he wants to help a lot of people, but he wants to do it with somebody else's money. And I think a lot of times in the church, we do the same thing. Let's say, let's impact the world. Let's reach the lost. Let's feed the hungry. Let's help the students. What well, we want to do with somebody else's money? The ones that are rich. Not, not you, right? I mean, you, you got this business you're building. You got these kids to raise. You got a mortgage you got to pay for. Yes, Troy, I'm all in. Let's change the world. Let's just do it with somebody else's money. And, and, and I thought about that. And I'm like, you know what? I, I want you to know. Now, I, I got our, our team, our staff team together on Wednesday and I, I said, okay, we're, we're going for $500,000 and I cast this vision. I said, what are you going to give? And I had them fill out an envelope just like that. There were 46 people there and uh, they're giving next weekend $64,015. That is good. <clears throat> now. You know, I I know these folks, and I know they're not wealthy. They're just committed, passionate, and this mission has their heart. That's like, what, 7%, 6% of the whole thing? And I want you you, you to know, and that's above and beyond tithe. See, just moving money and writing a different name on the envelope, it doesn't really make that, uh, uh, that's not real money, because those resources are already being used to feed the hungry and to do all the ministry that we do year after year after year for the last 30 years. We're talking about above and beyond. That's them giving above and beyond their 10%. And, and Steph and I, as we've thought about above and beyond our tithe and above and beyond the other offerings that we're a part of, is next weekend we're going to give 7500 Because I want you to know I will never stand in front of you and give you a vision to use somebody else's money to do something great. And the reason I won't is because I believe this. I believe that you and me together, submitted to an all-powerful God, can somehow impact this world. I believe it. Would you bow your head? Father, I thank you for this opportunity that's in front of us. I pray that we'll embrace it. I pray that we'll be part of it. It's challenging, but uh, it's exciting. It's so exciting to know of all the people in the world you could have chose, you could have brought together. Somehow, you've brought us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here today, and uh, I, I hope <clears throat> I hope that uh, I hope you've been encouraged in the sense that. A dream to not lose hope God's bigger than your issues and he's bigger than our world's issues we just got to be committed passionate and give him our heart according to Matthew 6 21 now the worship team has a feature that they want to share with you uh, as we give I'm gonna ask our ushers to come I'm gonna pray for our giving I invite you as I do every weekend to be generous, to be faithful, to test God, see <clears throat> if he doesn't keep his word. I know he has in many people's lives. Father, I, I pray for our offering. I pray we'll be generous. I pray for me and staff that we will be committed and passionate that you will always have our heart. I pray for those who struggle financially. That's so hard. So give us courage to do what you've asked because you say you'll take care of us. And so we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.